Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Where is God calling you to be bold and courageous? In today's teaching, we see that Jesus sent out a diverse group of disciples, granting them authority to conquer the forces of darkness. And if you've been with us for a while, we've been in this series for a long time. We are in a transition period now in this book, but what we've seen so far is Jesus demonstrating that he actually has the power of the kingdom of God. And now Jesus is telling his disciples, now it's your turn. Now I'm not just going to be the one showing you how to live life in the kingdom, but I'm going to be sending you out. Last week, uh, Scott gave a really great introduction to this section. I would really encourage you uh, to go back and listen to that if you missed it. And even just like as a rule of thumb, I don't know if you're a, a sermon listener in the week, but if you miss a sermon, it's really important to go back and hear that sermon for being part of the life of our church for understanding the flow of the preaching series we're in, to regularly be hearing preaching even throughout the week. So if you miss that sermon, again, like in one sense, our sermons aren't anything amazing, but our sermons are really important because we're a family and me and Scott are your shepherds and being able to listen to sermons is great. So I would encourage you to do that if you miss it. Scott's sermon last week was particularly excellent as he walked through the reality that being a disciple doesn't mean you pray to prayer. Doesn't mean you read your Bible. Being a disciple means you're on mission. Being a disciple means that you are on mission with Jesus and his people. There's no such thing as being a follower of Jesus who's not on mission with Jesus and his people. So I want you to think about that. Like, let that sink in. Wait a minute. To be a disciple means to be on mission. So wait a minute. What about all these people who just go to church and then go live their life? Like, I think we would have to say, is that what being a disciple really is about? Want that reality to sink in. That's what Matthew is getting us to see here. So, Matthew 10, we're going to hear this read by Rebecca now. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. The twelve apostles. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus sends out the twelve apostles. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, Raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborers deserves his food. 
And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Awesome. Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, for real. Serious mic drop by Jesus. Let's pray as we go to jump into this. Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact, God, that you speak to us through the scriptures. Jesus, there's a lot going on in this passage. There's a lot going on, even in our souls. So, Spirit of God, we ask that you would bring understanding to the scriptures. That as I speak, that we would hear your voice speaking to us, not the voice of a mere man talking about the Bible, but we would hear the voice of God himself speaking to us through the scripture. So thank you, God, that it is your word and your faithfulness that we put our hope in. We look forward, God, to seeing what you will say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been with us for a little bit, you've seen this series in Matthew, you've understand what Jesus is doing, how he's trying to build the kingdom, casting out demons, healing people, you have to ask the question, why does Jesus send out his disciples? I want you to think about that. You don't have to like shout out an answer, but think about that. Why does Jesus now send out his disciples? Because after all, Jesus has all the authority needed. Jesus, does Jesus need his disciples to go do work? No, Jesus is sufficient in himself. The, the Gentiles have already started to hear about Jesus and they're coming to him. Remember the Roman centurion and the woman with the flow of blood? Remember the guy whose daughter had died? People are already starting to come to Jesus. He's not even going, sent anybody out yet. So why would Jesus send his disciples on mission? Think about that for a second. Kind of lock that over here in your brain. Second question I want us to consider. When you are sent out on mission... Is mission a duty or a joy? These questions are actually really connected. Does doing life together for you seem like a duty and a chore? Or does it bring joy in life? And this isn't some kind of a test trick question because sometimes being sent on mission is hard. Sometimes going and caring for people does seem like a drag. It's not always the most joy-filling thing in our life. So I'm not trying to ask you to like, oh, I need to evaluate like, my soul and dig into it right now. No. But is your overall approach that, oh, we got to do mission. Oh, man. So think about these questions. Why does Jesus send them out? And do we view mission as duty or joy? Well, think about this. Why did God give Adam a mission? Remember how in the very beginning, God puts his people in this garden. The earth is not yet fully formed and flourishing yet. They're in this perfect little garden with God. And what does he say to them? Work the ground. Cultivate the earth. Prepare this to be my place to dwell with all of my people. Okay? So God didn't need Adam, but he chose to partner with Adam. 
He said to Adam, I want you to participate in the work that I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a role to do in this story. God didn't need Adam and Eve to do the work. God could have just done the work. But he wanted humans to be his partners. It's like, oh, well, that's different. That would probably change the way you'd think about the work if you knew the God of the universe wanted you to partner with him. So now, again, think about this. That's what we see God do in the very beginning. Now here we see Jesus saying, I want you to partner with me. Do you see the connection? Do you see the difference that makes of do we approach mission with duty or with joy? Well, wait a minute. The God of the universe is inviting us to partner with him, to be sent with him into all the different fields of mission with all of our different giftings and capacity. That kind of flips the script when you realize Jesus is calling us to participate with him in the work that he is doing. That changes the way we think about mission. That changes the way we think about the Christian life. The Christian life is not about me going and doing stuff for God, but me partnering with what I see God already doing around me. Again, like that's where, again, we have to continually go back to the reality of what is the gospel itself about? That not only is God not mad at us because he's provided for us in Jesus, but he now says, I want to do my work with you and through you. And that's what we see Jesus beginning to invite the disciples into in Matthew 10. So let's first dig into some of this and ask, okay, well, who are these people that Jesus is going to send out? Who are the people of the mission? Look in verse 1. Matthew notes that there were 12 people, 12 men sent out. Sent out with the authority over the spiritual forces. Sent out to release people from the powers at work in the world. Can you think of any other group of 12 in the Bible? Any other time there's been a group of people given a mission to be witnesses for God, to overcome spiritual darkness, to be sent out as priests and healers any other time in the Bible when there was another really big group of 12. Anybody want to shout out? Israel. Absolutely. The nation of Israel. Earlier in the story of God, in the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah, the law, we see God call a man, Adam, and then a family, and then a nation. And that nation is made up of 12 different brothers. Again, kind of let's, let's jog some of that memory in there. Remember guys like Judah and Benjamin and Simeon and Reuben and Levi. Remember all those tribes? Well, God said to them, you guys are going to be my representatives. And so now, Jesus is saying, I'm going to get another 12 guys. Is Jesus kind of just trying to throw some like, cool symbolism out there? Like, oh, see, 12 and 12. No, not at all. Jesus is showing that the purpose of Israel and what Israel was supposed to be doing, what those 12 tribes, that huge nation of people, what they were supposed to be doing is now being completely recentered around Jesus and his kingdom. That that was actually the point. So he draws these 12 men in and says, I am reconstituting the nation of Israel around me. It'd be like the U.S. government writing a new constitution around something else new. It's a pretty monumental idea. So what we realize is that Jesus is here beginning the renewal of the people of God. Remember, God's people, again, in the story, they'd been in exile. They were living in fear. They were overrun by the Romans and other... They were like this puny little nation that had no power or control. And Jesus is saying, 
I'm now re-envisioning the people of God around me. And, just as a side note in this, did you notice that Jesus said, don't go to the Gentiles and Samaritans? Did you notice that? Look at verse 5. He says, don't go anywhere near the Gentiles or Samaritans. Like, what's up with that? Is that kind of like a jerk move on Jesus' part? No. Don't worry. By the time we get to Matthew 28, the Gentiles and the Samaritans are going to be brought in. This is not at all about excluding people from God's family. This is Jesus showing, I'm putting Israel back on the table. The new group of God's people who are sent on mission is now being formed. So, that's what Jesus is doing by calling these 12 guys together. Saying, okay, here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to send you out into mission. But who were these guys? Who were these 12 guys? Again, there's 12 names there. You can look at them. There's lists them all. Some of them are brothers. Some of them are given a little descriptor of their job. And I would love to tell you, I was even thinking about this, like, man, I wish I could just tell our church that, like, Jesus picked the Avengers. He got this all-star squad to, like, go out and kick demonic forces' butts to, like, wrangle Satan and go do work. Guys, Jesus did not pick the Avengers. He picked somebody closer to the Three Stooges. These guys are a hot mess. And we're going to see their hot mess later on as Jesus begins to send them out. And they're basically going to say, like, okay, well, we're sent out with this. There's, this one, there's literally this story where they're sent out and they say, okay, got to go to these people. But they're pretty bad people. So, Jesus, can we call fire down on these people over here? Jesus is like, no, guys, you're again missing the point. Jesus did not pick the hardcore, take the hill type guys. Because again, look at the story. Look back in the story. Who are the people that Jesus calls to himself? He calls a nation of slaves. He calls the people who are the cast outs, the renegades, the isolated in society. Jesus calls the losers to be part of his dream team. And, I was talking with Scott about this, Again, we wouldn't necessarily understand this based on the descriptions of what we read about them. But guys, this was not a group of people who were similar. This would be like saying in our modern day, take a very progressive liberal, pair them with the hardcore MAGA supporter, and then get like a New York City lawyer and pair him with a blue-collar mechanic. Send those guys out into mission together. That's what this group of people would have represented. These guys would have been the extremes of society. The people who were in cahoots with the Romans, the people that were corrupt, the people that were super devout and they were willing to kill people for God, the people that were kind of more passive and just didn't even really care. That's who we're going to see. This is Jesus' team around him. But what's so amazing is that Jesus calls them into allegiance to him, which means all of their lesser allegiances no longer define them. So then, we can just even pause right there and say, so what does that teach us about us being sent on mission? Like, we're right out of the gate. What do we see that that would say to us about our life together being sent on mission? Well, first off, if you identify as a loser, if you identify as a renegade, unworthy, not righteous, more of a stooge than an avenger, you're the perfect fit for Jesus. And secondly, this begs the question of who are we going on mission with? 
people just like us? Are we just trying to build a church of all the same types of people? No. That would be antithetical to what Jesus and what Matthew is showing us. Remember, we want to be reading Matthew, not just looking at what he's telling us, but what's he showing us. Matthew is intentionally showing us that Jesus doesn't just pick the losers. He picks the people from different seasons and places of life. If you think about it, that's why our missional communities are very different. They're very diverse places. Showing that the kingdom of God is not a one-size-fits-all type reality. So we've seen the people of the mission, these 12 men. What are they sent to do? What's the work that these men are sent to do? So we've looked at the people of the mission. Who's Jesus going to send out? What's this work that they're going to do? Well, if you look at verses 1 and 5 and 8, it shows us what the work of the mission is. It's the work of having authority over Satan. It's the work of being sent out as healers. And Matthew says, sent out to the lost sheep of Israel. But what specifically is this exercising of authority? What is this having dominion over Satan? And what is this healing supposed to be? Well, in the New Testament context, the demonic forces of Satan were wrecking havoc on the people of God. Causing people to live in fear, isolation, people actually losing control of their bodies and minds. It was like a dark force was over the cities and towns of Israel. Very almost apocalyptic type imagery is being used here. And into these, what Jesus calls fields of harvest, into those places, he sends his guys to do work. Did Jesus send them out against the people they disagreed with? Is it the people with the other theology that they're supposed to go out and exercise authority over? Is it the people that they disagree with on politics? No. Jesus shows them that the authority is given to them to know who the real enemy is. The real authority is given not to squelch the liberal or the conservative or the person you view as an enemy. The real authority is to know where the real enemy is. And even as I was preparing this, I feel like some of us need to be reminded of that, maybe right now. Don't forget who the real enemy is. That's actually a line from the Hunger Games, if you didn't know that. And I'm sure from other places as well. But as I was thinking about that, I was like, don't forget who the real enemy is. And if you remember in the Hunger Games, as Katniss is being sent out into the Hunger Games, where there's literally all these other people, it's either kill or be killed. As she's going out there, her trainer says to her, don't forget the real enemy. It's not those people out there trying to kill you. It's the authorities. It's the structures at work that are trying to do this to us. That's the real enemy. So for us... The real enemy is the liar. It's the deceiver. The one who instills and fuels hate. Jesus gives authority to show who the real enemy is. And if you think about that, again, how would that change how we do life here in Hampton Roads if we realize that? Who's the real enemy at work here in Hampton Roads, in our cities, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our own families? Where do you see areas of darkness and doubt or isolation or people feeling as if they're being ruled over by something else in life? 
We often do not think that we can see demonic oppression or demonic activity visible, but you can be sure that where you see people living hidden lives, where you see people trying to draw away, where you see people trying to intentionally avoid life with others, where it seems that people are almost being controlled by other things, you can be sure that the presence of Satan is at work, instilling that drive away from the people of God. And so, to that work, Jesus sends his guys out and us out as healers. He uses the word healers. The work of being in the Old Testament, that job was specifically for the priests, the ones who were supposed to care for the people, the ones who were supposed to teach them the law, the ones who were in one sense the leaders of the people, helping them see how to follow God and healing their wounds, physical and spiritual. And now the disciples are sent out as those healers, as those who could speak the truths of the good news of the kingdom. Think about this. Jesus says, if you look at verse 7, the kingdom of, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were sent out to show how the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And again, Let's get really practical. In our life, in your missional community, in your family, in your neighborhood, what would it look like if the kingdom of heaven was there? Parents, what would it look like if the kingdom of heaven was in your kitchen when you were tempted to yell at your kids? Husbands, wives, all adults and different types of friendships. What would it look like if you realized in your interactions with people who are hard to deal with, for some of you maybe it's a coworker, for some of you maybe it's a spouse or a brother or a sister or a relative, if the kingdom of heaven was at hand, what would that look like? And again, I just want to say like to our missional communities out there, what would it look like if the kingdom of heaven was at hand in your missional community? I feel like often we think, oh, well, it's the leaders who have to figure that out. It's the leaders who have to lead us on mission and show us how we're going to demonstrate the kingdom. Friends, don't just rely on your leaders to do that. If you have ideas of it would look like this if the kingdom was at work, do that with your missional community. Do that with people in your life. I just, this week, I literally thought to myself, I have seen the kingdom of heaven at hand just in this last week. Imagine a young boy wanting to start a lemonade stand and giving some of his proceeds to serve a local nonprofit. That's the kingdom of heaven breaking in. Imagine a group of people seeking to love the poor in creative ways that neither companies nor corporations can figure out how to do. That's the kingdom of heaven at hand. Imagine a group of people who actually consciously sought to love their neighborhood and walk around and pray for it and try to meet people. Friends, that's the kingdom of heaven breaking in. Imagine a group of men committed to gather in prayer and repentance and openness, wanting to fight sexual sin together, wanting to live in purity, and wanting to draw each other into real emotional health as men. That's the kingdom of heaven at hand right now. Imagine a group of people committed to just love people who are really hard to love. That's the kingdom of heaven. And everything I just said is literally happening right here in our church family. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. It is on the move. It's already breaking in. So for you, 
what would it look like if the kingdom of heaven was present in your life, in your community? I feel like as we as a church begin to really do business with that, new missional communities will explode and take off if we put ourselves to that work. And so, we've looked at the people of the mission. We've looked at the work of the mission of what's this work that they were sent out to do of identifying and knowing who the real enemy is and being sent out as healers. One final point before we close. What's the way of the mission? In what way are they to be sent out? What is the manner of their travel supposed to be? Look at verses 9 through 13. Jesus makes something abundantly clear about being sent on mission. Look at verses 9 and 10. They're not supposed to bring extra clothes. And there's no target in the next town over. Notice it says they're not supposed to bring gold, silver, or or copper. That's a a decline in currency. So not this, not even this, not even this. Don't bring extra money. Again, this is where we need to learn to rightly read our Bibles. Jesus is sending them out on this very like itinerant type ministry of like the reality of like prophets and teachers in that day where they would travel around and do the work of ministry in different areas. Like Jesus is not telling us to go out and do that exact same thing. We need to contextualize this. But what is Jesus showing us and making very clear? That when you go on mission, make it very clear that you're relying on God to provide. That's why he tells them, don't bring an extra staff, don't bring extra sandals, don't bring an extra cloak, don't bring that bag, money, you're not going to need that. Because I'm going to make it clear that I am providing for you as you go on mission. They're to make it abundantly clear that God is the one sustaining them on their mission. Jesus is telling them to live in such a way that people see you have some other form of provision that is not evident to my eyes. This is the way that we're to be sent on mission. Not in ways that we can handle, ways that we can control. We are being sent out into places where we don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how this interaction is going to go. I don't know if I undertake this endeavor for Jesus. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know if I'm sent into this new season of life, how it's really going to go for me. Hey, friends, guess what? You're being sent into places where you have no choice but to trust in God and that the Spirit of God is going to show up. That's what Jesus is telling them here. But if we are honest, and again, if we want to really do the contextualizing work, we're Americans. We hate not being self-sufficient. We hate not being able to have all the resources so we can see how it goes. Oh, there's a mission. Oh, can we do that? Is it sustainable? Is it reproducible? Do we have enough resources for it? Like, that's the kind of mission that we do. And is it any wonder that we often don't see the Spirit at work? Because everything's within our control. We've not allowed ourselves to be put in places where we have no choice but to trust the Spirit. But that's exactly what Jesus is sending them out to do. But friends, we need to do business with that, that we hate need. We hate having to live like we actually need our Father. We will acknowledge, oh, I know I need God. He does provide for me. But at the same time, I'm going to go live over here and do the exact opposite. 
And friends, if we're also even more honest, this is why people don't see the kingdom at work. Because we live as if we claim to trust in a God whom often we do not trust in. And we can repent of that. The great prophets of contemporary Christian music of the 90s, the band DC Talk, allude to this in one of their openings to their songs. Any DC Talk fans out there? Come on, you can admit it. They're still great. Yes, I see you all. In one of their greatest albums, Jesus Freak, they allude to this when Toby Mac quotes the theologian Brennan Manning, who wrote this. The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. What? Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Is it really the greatest cause of atheism? We could argue about that. I don't think that's the main point. Friends, we deny that we have a good father when we refuse to put ourselves in places where we actually have to trust him to provide. And that is what Jesus is getting at here with the disciples, that they are to make visible a trust in a God whom they cannot see, but to prove his faithfulness in the manner by which they're sent out. And so for us, as we go to close, do you realize that living in that kind of way is living almost in a prophetic sense of showing how the kingdom is at work, that we have provision that you can't see because our God is sending us out on mission. Three quick ways, and there's gazillions of more, of how can we live in that kind of trust? How can we actually begin to take, place, take steps towards that in our lives? Three quick ways. Where's the Spirit calling you to be bold? Where's he calling you to take a risk? Where is he calling you to be willing to step into something that you can't see how it's going to turn? Where are you called to be bold? Where are you called, secondly, to have radical kingdom generosity? That would be stepping into a place where you have no choice but to trust God, actually giving away your money. Lastly, where are you being called to serve people who are really hard to love? Well, you're probably not ever going to receive that love back. There's a lot more in this passage and we're going to address a lot of that next week. Things like accepting hospitality from strangers, how Jesus talks about going to someone's house, bless this person, shake your dust, the dust off your sandals on this person. Oh, by the way, Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh yeah, don't forget about what happened to those guys. We're going to address all of that next week. But for now, I want you to just consider, where is Jesus calling me, calling my MC, calling redemption? to actually step out in boldness and actually prove that we have a God who is not just for us, but is actually going to meet us as we step into mission. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.